with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 8. And as we turn there, I just want to say this. I am so filled with joy to see how many of you are wearing Christmas clothes and Christmas gear. Um, this is my only Christmas sweater. Um, I bought it today. And uh, uh, <laughs> so you can tell how Christmassy I am. I have a pair of elf shoes. I don't know if you saw this on Instagram. Uh, my kids found them, they dragged them out and forced me to wear them. So I was wearing them this weekend. Uh, it was very embarrassing to have a pair of elf shoes. But uh, I realized like it's Christmas time. I need to have some Christmas gear. And so I went to Old Navy. And let me just tell you, uh, it's a scary thing to go shopping at Christmas. Anybody else feel that way? Uh, going to the mall is, is like terrifying. In fact, I don't really like shopping that much anyway. But going to the mall at Christmas time just makes me just break out in hives. <laughs> and I was sitting in line. I was like, what am I doing? You know, there was a line around uh, the entire store trying to get us through that line to, to buy this sweater. And it reminded me how many things distract us from Christmas. Um, you know, at Christmas time, there are so many things to try take our focus off the real meaning of Christmas. And so I was sitting in the store today just going, man, what's the, what's the real point? And I know I know the, the, the Sunday school answer, right? All of us know that Christmas is ultimately about Jesus. Every single one of us um, knows the, the, the Christian answer to these kinds of questions, right? I mean, if you grew up in a Sunday school, uh, you knew that the answer the teacher was always going for was, was Jesus. It reminds me of a story about a young man uh, in a Sunday school class. And the teacher said, what, what has a bushy tail and lives in trees? And the kid goes, uh, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus. Just to make sure, because I think it's a trick question. And the same thing is true with Christmas. When we think about Christmas, sometimes uh, we think about all the things that are around it, and then we revert back to saying it's really about Jesus. But I want to take it a step further tonight and say this. I think Christmas is not only about Jesus, but it's also about worship. Christmas is about worship. It's about worshiping Jesus. In fact, the very first night at Christmas, you find a worship gathering breaking out in Bethlehem. And so I want to take our time to think about Christmas in the, in the eyes of, of worship and the fact that when we consider Christmas, we are invited. Christmas is an invitation to come and see so that we can go and tell. Christmas is an invitation for us to come and see so we can go and tell. And you're going to see three different characters at Christmas through this story that we're going to look at who come and see and go and tell, and they worship because of their experience. It's my hope tonight that your heart would be warmed in the same way, and you would come and see and then go and tell. So that's the bottom line. We're not going to finish there. We're going to go do the work, right? But would you open with me in your Bible? We're going to read the Christmas story together out of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And it says this. It says, in the same region, shepherds were standing out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah of the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. 
And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told uh, because it was just as they had heard, I'm um, sorry, they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This story is powerful because what we find here is we find these three characters interacting and worshiping together. And one person influences the next to worship God. So the first character we see tonight is the angels. So our story starts out with this narrative where there's some shepherds out in a field. They're doing their thing. They're taking care of their sheep. They're, they're, they're being good shepherds. They're not losing any of their sheep. And on a night that seems like every other night, some angels show up. And the Bible tells us that they are terrified, which you would be too. I said this last week, right? If an angel showed up, we would freak out. In fact, right now, I mean, we're not even in a dark field somewhere, okay? <laughs> if an angel showed up, we would all be terrified. Which is why it's so reassuring that the very first thing that the angel said was, don't be afraid, because I've got great news for you. And he invites the shepherds to go see the Son of God who is born in a, in a manger, and he invites them to go see what God has done. And then we find that it's not just one angel telling them, but it says that an entire host of heaven appears and they glorify God. And this is what they say. I want you guys to see this in verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that he favors. This line here is significant because the angels say, listen, we are proclaiming peace on earth. The idea of peace on earth is one that has eluded mankind since we started. Our world has been marred by conflict and war as long as we can remember. And it's not gotten any better. There's continuous conflict in the world, even today, all around the world. And yet you find these angels declaring peace on earth because God has given people favor. And this is not just any kind of language. This is, this is kingly language. This is a decree coming from a king declaring peace to his enemies. Now, I think some of us, when we think about our relationship with God, we don't think about ourselves as God's enemies. We think that we are positive towards God, and so he's positive towards us. In fact, a lot of us struggle with the idea that God would consider anybody his enemy, right? Just be honest, right? We, we struggle thinking that God would consider people to be his enemies. But the Bible tells us that we, when we turn away from God, we become his enemies. When we say, God, I, I don't want to follow you, but I want all the stuff that you gave me. I want the world that you gave me. I want the life that you gave me. And I want all of it free of, from your control and your, your authority. When we do that, we become cosmic rebels against the holy God. And as a result, the Bible tells us that God's wrath has been appointed to us, that at some point in our life, we will face God's wrath when we die. And that's a scary truth that the Bible tells us. But the beauty that is declared at Christmas is that God is ending the hostility. 
That God is now saying, you're no longer my enemies. I'm proclaiming peace to my enemies. And you are welcome not just to be people who live in harmony with me, but I'm going to make it possible for you to be my family. One of my favorite stories in the modern uh, era about peace is the truce of 1914. Now, some of you guys may not know about this story, and some of you do, but in World, World War I, uh, the fighting was uh, probably the fiercest at the Western Front. So this is the frontier between France and Germany. And uh, they, they had invented a new way of doing war, which was called trench warfare, which basically meant that they had dug in. We got a picture here of a trench here on the, on the screens where they had dug in these, these trenches and people would hide behind them and shoot at each other. And for most of the war, uh, the war between, uh, in World War I, the war was fought between these trenches and the, the human casualties were astronomical. I was doing some research on this as I was preparing for this message. What I found out is that during World War I, 9.7 million people died fighting in these trenches. 9.7 million. That's like the population of Chicago. Furthermore, there were another 10 million people that died who were civilians. So all told, 20 million people died in these trenches fighting for these pieces of land. Abject misery ensued. People uh, experienced trauma unlike anything else that the world had seen up to that point. It was hopeless. And at Christmas in 1914, Pope Benedict uh, XV said, you know what would be really cool is if we had a ceasefire just for one day at Christmas, that we could just remember that we're all human. The problem was is that none of the countries involved wanted to do that. England didn't want to do that. France didn't want to do that. Germany didn't want to do that because they didn't trust the other side. They're like, nope, no ceasefire. The war is still on. But on Christmas Eve... The soldiers had a different plan in mind. And you know what they did? They started singing Christmas carols to each other. Even the bands got into it. They started playing songs to the other side. And then Christmas morning, the most shocking thing happened when the German soldiers came up out of their trenches and started wishing their enemies, the Allied forces, a Merry Christmas in their own language. The allies, the Americans, the the, the British and the French weren't sure what to make of it. In fact, they thought it was a trap. And so they're like, we're not going to do this. And so they're hiding behind their trenches. And eventually, a few of them mustered up the courage to go into no man's land, a place that was filled with barbed wire and live ammunition and death. And they entered into that space and began to make peace with their enemy. And, and historians tell us that they started actually sharing what they had with each other. They started having drinks with one another, started sharing cigarettes with one another. They even had a Christmas tree. Check this picture out. This is a real picture of enemy soldiers celebrating Christmas. That's probably the most puny Christmas tree I've ever seen in my life, okay? But they're celebrating Christmas together. And they even had a soccer game that broke out. So these guys were like trying to kill each other the day before, but at Christmas they're like, no, we're declaring peace. And the reason why I'm telling you guys this story is because what you saw on that battlefield pales in significance to what God has offered in Jesus. That's why the angels were like, glory to God 
in the highest heavens because they saw what God did. They had seen God's love for people, and they saw God send Jesus to the world so that we could have not just peace in our lifetime, but an eternal peace with God, that we would be a part of his family. And when they see it, they can't help but worship. All of heaven's like, it's going down. Glory to God in the highest. Now, the second character at Christmas are these shepherds. Um, Caleb, who led our first song tonight, he asked the question as we were kind of like praying over tonight. He said, why the shepherds? Like, there could have been so many other people that God could have chosen to be the very first people to hear the message. Like, why was it at the, at the manger scene, you know? Why was it out in a field in the middle of nowhere? Why wasn't it at Herod's palace or in, in Rome? Why, why was it with these shepherds? I mean, they weren't the best kind of people to, to pick to do these kinds of events, right? I mean, most, most people, when they would see a shepherd, they would cross the road. They're those kinds of people. But the reason why these shepherds are invited to go and see was because of prophecy. So Micah 4.8 tells us that the tower of the flock is the one who will see and will recognize who the Christ child is. And you go, what's the, the tower of the flock? The tower of the flock is a group of shepherds that were worship leaders. You know what they did? They would take care of sacrificial animals, specifically sheep that were destined to be slaughtered on the altar in God's temple. That was their job. They were to have unblemished lambs for sacrifice. And the imagery there is that these lambs would have their life shed so that people would have their sins forgiven, that God would look at the blood of that lamb instead of the blood of the people, that their sin would be transferred over to that lamb and it would be slain in their place. And these people, the tower of the flock, the, some others call it the Migdal elder, these shepherds were worship leaders. They were preparing animals so that others could worship. But I think it's something so powerful that's going on in the story is that God is actually revealing his plan to them. Not only are they people who prepare lambs for sacrifice, God's going, guess what I've got on my sleeve? I've got a lamb that will end your line of business. I've got a lamb that will be slain once for all. We don't need to have the, the blood of sheep or goats anymore to cover sins. I've got a lamb that is my son that I am sending. And I want you to go see what I have prepared for you. I want you to go see and I want you to go worship because I have made it possible for people to come into a deep abiding relationship with me through Jesus. And so they go and they see. The shepherds leave. I want you guys to see what they say. Actually, if you look at verse 15, Luke 2, verse 15, it says, When the angels had left him and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hear and they respond. You see, Christmas is an invitation to investigate. Christmas is an invitation to investigate. That's what we're doing at Christmas time. That's why we're taking the time to talk about this story, is that God is inviting every person that hears this story to investigate 
who he is and how good he is. The fact that he gives true comfort and joy. He gives us joy that's not defined in our circumstances. He gives us a joy that can never be taken. And he gives us comfort for our souls. And Jesus offers that. And so the shepherds go and they investigate. Which brings us to Mary. Why don't you guys turn with me to Luke chapter 2 verse 9. 19, sorry, verse 19, it says, But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And so our text now turns towards Mary. And what we find with Mary is that she sees the shepherds come in. She hasn't seen the angels. She sees the shepherds. And when they come and they worship, she treasures up the moment. And she ponders it and tries to hold it fast. This idea of treasuring Reminds me of some moments in my life where I treasured something. I remember getting married to Tabitha, and it was surreal because, like, I don't know. Um, if you've been married, uh, you know on your wedding day, it's like a blur. And I remember hearing the, the, uh, my friend who's the pastor say, you're now husband and wife. And then all of a sudden, everything started getting, like, really fuzzy. Like, I was like, I was like what's happening to me? And so I try to start like treasuring those moments. So Tabitha and I get in the car, we start going to the reception, and we're just like just overjoyed that we're married and we're fired up about it. And I'm trying to treasure that in my heart. And then uh, I, I hadn't really gotten used to wearing a wedding ring at that moment, so I kept on playing with it. Um, big mistake because then I dropped it between the seats. And Tabitha's like, you already dropped the ring. You lost it. And, and that made me treasure that moment even more. It was like one of those moments just like seared in my memory, this panic that I lost my ring. And it's in these moments that we laugh and we, we remember and we, we have an experience that those moments, when we treasure those moments, both the good and the funny and the, 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 the embarrassing moments of our life, when we experience those, we, we have a memory that goes with us the rest of our life. And that's what Mary's doing here. She's remembering Everything that she has seen. And the question uh, I need to ask you is why? Why do you think she had to, to remember those things? Why was she treasuring them? Maybe the answer is because she needed encouragement in that moment. Maybe she needed to worship in that moment. Because she may have been in a moment where she's... Equally, at the highest of highs, she's given birth to the Son of God, but also at the lowest of lows because she's like, I don't know how we're going to take care of him. And we're in the middle of nowhere with nobody around us, and we've got our baby in a manger, <laughs> right? And maybe, just maybe, she's saying, this is what I needed to get through this, and now I get to worship. Because of the faithfulness of the shepherds, Mary treasures these things in her heart, and she has what she needs to re-engage with God, even though he's right there in the middle of the moment with her. And what I want you to see is that, is that worship is, is contagious. Worship is contagious. It's, it's contagious at its core. Because when one person worships, somebody else sees it and then gets caught up into it. When you see somebody have a life-changing, dramatic moment with God, that is a contagious experience. And through this story, we see that, right? We see, we see the angels seeing God send Jesus. And they worship, and they go, and they tell the shepherds. The shepherds hear the news. They see the angels worship. And they hear the invitation 
to come and see so they can go and tell. So they, they leave everything behind and they go to Bethlehem. We don't know how far it was for them to get there. It may have been a long journey. We don't know if it was close or near, but they leave everything immediately and go. And when they go, they worship. And Mary sees them worship. And she treasures this story in her heart. And then she shares the story with Luke, who wrote the book of Luke that we just read. And now that story has come to you because Mary was worshiping. Now you get to experience that exact same moment. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we going to do with it? If Christmas is all about worship, where are we worshiping? Are we, are we coming to see Jesus so that we can worship and then go and tell? Or are we simply walking right past him? Who in your life needs to see you worship. Maybe it's a friend back home that you need to have a conversation with that they can see the hope that you have. Maybe it's a family member that you're going to see this Christmas who just needs someone to care for them, to point them to Jesus. Maybe it's a little brother or sister. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe someone who has no hope who's sitting on that airplane with you as you're flying back to wherever you're from. But there is someone that God will place in your path this Christmas that you can reveal Jesus to. And so tonight, I think the most fitting thing for us to do is just to worship in response. So I'm going to invite the band back up. And as we close in worship, I want us to completely go for it, okay? Um, we, we have an opportunity right now. Uh, to, to live this out, to be people who come and see so we can go and tell, to experience the risen king. Maybe it's even somebody in this room tonight that needs to see you connect to Jesus Christ in a really authentic way right now. I don't know any other gift that we could give Jesus that he's worthy of than our worship. It's the only thing we really have to give him. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our talent. He doesn't need our power. But what he does desire is he desires us. And he desires us to know him and worship him. So let's enter into that right now. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the people who are here tonight. I know you, you have things that you're doing in their life. I know you've got stories that you're telling in their, their life. I know that many of us have hurts that we're carrying in this place. I know some of us are feeling the weight of the world. I know some of us are filled with joy because this is the best Christmas. We just got engaged or we just finally got home or we, we, we had incredible news. It's been a good year. But whether we're having a great day or a hard season, we want to turn our eyes to you, Jesus, because we recognize that Christmas is about worshiping you, Jesus. And so right now as we, as we worship, I pray that you would accept this as an offering because you are worthy of it. You are worthy. It's in your name.